one announcement. The children will not be singing this Sunday, January 2nd, the contract dispute. And uh, the next schedule for them to sing is uh, April 17th of 22, if negotiations go well. The Book of Kings, chapter 1. We have a long chapter this evening, but <clears throat> uh, don't be intimidated by that. Defiance Defeated, that is the title for this evening's consideration. At least that's one of the major things that stands out to me going over this. I could do this chapter again months from now and come up with a different outstanding point. But this is the one I feel led to uh, stress. Now, quick review. David's health is failing. He does not have much time left. He's going to have uh, sort of apparently a health rebound toward the end of his life, a sunshine, an extended sunshine moment, you might say. But right now, <clears throat> and as events unfold in this chapter, he's not doing well. He had not officially announced his successor to the throne. And so his eldest living son, uh, Adonijah, has appointed himself the successor in defiance of what was made clear by Nathan the prophet. Nathan... He comes aware of Adonijah's self-exaltation, and he understood immediately its threat. And so he, well, for instance, he wasn't invited to this self-made coronation party that Adonijah was throwing for himself. Uh, Solomon was not invited, and again, Solomon was the divinely appointed heir and Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, of course, uh, she would have been put in jeopardy. So what Nathan does, he arranges an appeal to David, but first he, he goes to Bathsheba and he says, I want you to first go to the king, tell him what's going on. While you're speaking to him, I'll then come in and, and back your story up, and that is what we're going to read about this evening. <clears throat> uh, she will approach the king, then Nathan will confirm. And... To me, again, one of the great lessons from this chapter is that those who defy the king are defeated. Defiance defeated. Adonijah is defying his father. He is defying the king, and he will be defeated. And you look in the New Testament, it takes, the New Testament deals with the same thing, but it takes another approach to everything. And here's what I mean. In Romans 3, you'll be familiar with the first Two verses, I think, and hopefully blessed by the third. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Well, Adonijah didn't follow that kind of advice, and that's why he is the arrogant, defiant man that he was. And it was going to cost him his life eventually. So let's look at verse 15. We've got to get to 53, so I may have to go New York mode on you. But if you play back the message online uh, at two speeds slower, you should be able to understand what I'm saying. So Bathsheba went into the chamber 
to the king. Now, the king was very old, and Abishag, the Shulamite, was serving the king. Well, as we covered, Abishag is there to give him body heat because the king is not able to keep himself warm. But clearly, Bathsheba has a special access to the king. Uh, we'll find this contrasted with Nathan in verse 23, who comes in and has to be announced. Uh, apparently, she, Bathsheba, is um, much younger than David, and <clears throat> the wives of the kings of Israel are never designated as queens. There's one reference in Solomon's Song of Solomon to the 60 queens, and it's probably more of a dramatic feature, but uh, the, king, the Jews really didn't get into that. We don't read of a, a real queen until Sheba comes to visit Israel. Uh, later, though, when she visits her son to take the message of Adonijah to him, he has Solomon, he is king at that point, and he has, a, the Bible tells us, another throne brought and placed beside his own where his mom can sit and they can discuss matters. And so just because they're not referred to as queens does not mean that they lacked the, the uh, influence of a queen and were treated uh, with utmost respect. Uh, David's frailty appears throughout chapters 1 and 2. I mentioned Abishag. She has court privilege also. She's not the only one. There are other court attendees and attendants. Um, but she is, uh, she is charged with the secrecy of the king's court. In verse 16, And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, What is your wish? So she follows the basic rules of royal etiquette bowing and waiting for the king to say, okay, it's your turn to speak, and, and uh, th that's fine. Uh, her life and her son's life uh, are dependent upon the outcome of this appeal, that David has to grant it. Verse 17, Then she said to him, My lord, you swore by Yahweh your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me and shall sit on my throne. Well, we have no direct record of these two having this conversation. There was no reason to doubt it. <clears throat> we have it in other areas. In First Chronicles, David uh, attests to this very thing. Uh, behold, a son, uh, David is speaking, he's saying, this is what God said to me. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. And go, he goes on to add, and his throne will be forever. So through, of course, it's, it's a messianic um, uh, reference. But the point is, this was known. It was not something that was just thought up. And this is a heavy strike against those who collude with Adonijah, uh, Joab, uh, being one of them, and the alternate high priest, uh, Abiathar, being the other. Verse 18, so now look, Adonijah has become king. Bathsheba still speaking. And now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. Well, this suggests that when, uh, that David did not really, you know, his health was not allowing him to take care of business as he should have. But David would not have liked to have heard that his son bypassed him bypassed the will of God, bypassed the throne of Israel. He, this would have started the, 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 uh, this, uh, the reaction that we need David to have. 
such a man as Adonijah is not fit for the throne. David would have just been starting to get really a little riled. She's not finished. Verse 19. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance <clears throat> and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. Well, this was premeditated, well thought out. I mean, to get all these animals uh, to the, and, and Rogel where this is taking place and to have the priests ready and set up to conduct this, these sacrifices and then serve the meals this is uh, not something that was a spur of the moment. Uh, they were deep into their defiance of, of David. Now, David had 17 sons over the 40 years on the throne. The two elders died, of violent, died a violent death. The third, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, alternate name Daniel, we don't read about him, <clears throat> leaving us to suppose maybe his health was not I mean, he was not strong enough, or maybe he had passed at some point early on also. So Adonijah becomes the eldest known living son of David, and um, traditionally next in line for the throne. But God is not bound by tradition at all. And we see this with Jacob and Esau, with Ephraim and Manasseh. You know, Joseph objects, no, the older first, and and Jacob says, I know what I'm doing, son. Uh, so <clears throat> there's no violation. It's a divine prerogative. And God is going to bypass Adonijah. Well, he already has stated it through his prophets and other records. So um, God overrules, of course, the tradition. We don't know about Solomon's other three brothers. There may have been four. You know, we don't know how they counted. If they counted the one that passed away, their first child between David and Bathsheba, and did they name him? So it gets a little confusing. It's not a major point at all, but we, we don't hear of his other brothers. Certainly, Adonijah is not inviting them to this either, but they're just not in the picture. Uh, Solomon, again, he's not going to forget this defiance when he becomes king. First Kings chapter 22, when his mom, Bathsheba, then comes and says, Hey, Adonijah asked me this question. And she tells Solomon. Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now, why do you ask Abishag, the Shulamite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. For him. Ask it for him. And for Abiathar, the priest. And for Joab, the son of Zariah. So he's hot still. He's like, oh yeah, now it's on. I gave that dude a warning, and he did not heed it. And now he's going to, and then, of course, he dispatches, you know who, Benaniah, the man who killed a lion on a snowy day. And Benaniah, of course, is going to take him out. Do we get that next chapter? It's going to be very exciting. Uh, anyway, verse 20, and as for you, my lord, O king, Bathsheba is still speaking, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him. Verse 21, otherwise, it will happen when my Lord, the king, rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Well, in verse 22, I mean, she just said, David, you have to do something now. David is, of course, shivering, trying to get warm. And uh, uh, so if he seems reluctant, the reason why I say that, if he seems reluctant, again, he's poor health. He's feeling miserable. And probably other issues coming from that. And so this is, there's no reluctance here. There's just some health issues. Adonijah still needs the blessings. Uh, he's not going to get it. 
David's inaction, if he does nothing, it will send the signal that he condones, he blesses Adonijah. So he's got to do something. And that's why Nathan and Bathsheba have come to him. And so she is saying, O king, if you do nothing, we will be killed. There will be a royal purging. And now David is armed. Verse 22. And just then, while she was still taking, uh, talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So Nathan is saying, I'm not taking any chances on this. I'm not leaving it to one testimony. I'm going to come in and back this up. Uh, I'm thinking... Well, David, he's sold already. He's okay. We'll do something. Well, Nathan's saying, well, I don't agree with you, Rick. I think he needs to hear me say it too. Uh, he is a man of unquestionable character, and uh, his word is still taken very seriously by David. Verse 23. So they told the king, saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And the, church, the horns would be, you know. That sounded bad, I'm sure. In my head, it sounded nice. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. So his arrival is formally announced as opposed to Bathsheba. She comes in this other entrance that's probably reserved for David's uh, wife. Whereas Bathsheba, uh, anyway, uh, she departs to a waiting area. She's not out of the picture. She's going to come back in. And so she departs in deference to the king's uh, business with Nathan, uh, the great mutual respect between these three. When David and Bathsheba had Solomon, God went out of his way, as we would say it, to make sure the guilt was removed from this couple. He goes in, he sends Nathan, says, I want you to tell them the great blessing I have for this child. You two sinned, that's done, we dealt with that. Now it's time to go forward. And which many of the people in the kingdom never got over. I mean, Joab and, and you know, other characters, they, they held this evidently. It doesn't explicitly say it. But apparently they, they had this grudge. And, you know, it was an opportunity to make Adonijah king. Are you kidding me? There's nothing ever said that's redeeming about that man. Anyhow, she departs that, uh, when David and her are going to have Solomon in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, which we don't have the time to read it, but you can read in verse 24 and 25. There you can read what Nathan says about uh, uh, Solomon. And it's all a blessing. Uh, They may have, as I mentioned, had four other sons together. The daughters we wouldn't know about. They really weren't listed unless there was something of importance about them. Uh, Verse 24, And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me and shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priests. And look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live King Adonijah. They're having a political feast, not a ritual, not a not a religious uh, celebration. Nathan, he knows how to make his points with David. And remember, he was the one that told that elaborate story about the lamb being eaten and the pet lamb being eaten. And uh, then he says, "David, you're the man." 
well, here, he, he tells just the facts. He doesn't come up with a story here. But he puts David on, on defense, pointedly asking him, did you make Adonijah your successor? Because I don't remember it that way. And uh, this would stir David even more, and it did. Because David's going to be very, ther- very thorough in dealing with this. Uh, so before David answers, Nathan follows up with uh, questions and facts. He's king, he says. He, he follows up with that. Uh, David, again, did not like this because this was a power move, bypassing him like that. Verse 26, David is saying, I'm not dead yet. I am still the king. Uh, verse 26, Nathan's still driving his points home, but he has not invited me, your servant. What does that mean, David? Nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, nor the servants of Sol- the servant, uh, nor your servant Solomon. So he gives him a list of people who are not on the list of invitees. Uh, furthermore, Nathan, keeping up the pressure, just uh, says, King, how about how come these people aren't invited? Hmm. Well, verse 27. Has, he's still speaking, Nathan. <clears throat> David's patient. He's like, well, it's not my turn. I want to hear this out. Has this thing been done by my lord, the king? And you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him? Well, evidently, clearly, to me at least, maybe to you now. David told Nathan important things because Nathan is saying, how come you didn't tell me? Will you tell me stuff? Have I missed something? It's a fair question because, again, Nathan has a different recollection about all this. Well, he doesn't differ from David. He differs from Adonijah. Any verse 28, then King David answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. So David knows what to do. He calls back in Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. Remember, she departed when Nathan came and uh, re-enters, verse 29. And the king took an oath and said, As Yahweh lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. Well, we have to stop mid-clause, mid-sentence, and this clause here, the second clause. David is using the same oath language or terminology when he was angered at the murderer of Saul, who that uh, Amalekite that thought that he was going to get. Uh, actually, no, it was not Saul. It was Saul's son, Ishbosheth. When he was murdered, then David uses the same language. First Samuel, in 17 of First Samuel, he used it before Saul about dealing with the Goliath. Moreover, David said, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So my, where I'm going with it is, this is not a new, uh, an epiphany for David. He has been carrying this around in his heart since before he was anyone, when he was a youth, before he slays Goliath. He, he goes back to that time and says, God delivered me from the bear and the lion. He's going to deliver me from this Philistine. And then um, we go, well, I want to break in from David for a moment. New Testament now. Paul the Apostle, he's telling Timothy, I don't have much time. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. 
And then he tells Timothy that, you know, you've witnessed the persecutions that I endured, the stonings, the beatings, etc. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, Persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. You can hear a sigh in that. Man, it was rough. And then he says, And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. You need your head examined, Paul. I don't call that deliverance. Yeah, well, I do, Paul would say. I'm still here preaching. I'm still here standing. I'm still telling people about Jesus Christ and still directing the church with just as much gusto as I ever had. That's Paul's understanding of God delivering him. So when David says, Yahweh lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, well, Paul echoes that. David did not say the Lord kept my soul from distress. He delivered me from it. We should not expect God to somehow give us divine immunity from problems. Ain't going to happen. However, Paul writes to the Corinthians. I I tell you, 2 Corinthians and and 2 Timothy, just these heartfelt letters from Paul. He says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves but God. In other words, we're at the end. He doesn't give a lot of details about it. He gives enough. We felt we were going to die. And there was nothing we could do except trust God. We were cornered. We were trapped. And then he says uh, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Man, that's faith. That's what David is saying. Yahweh lives. He is alive. He's real. And he has redeemed my life from every distress. And so what? I'm shivering as I'm saying it. He is still my deliverer. And then, of course, Paul just echoes it, as I mentioned, in 2 Timothy 3.11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9-10. through 10. I know that there are times in my life that I just get sick of it. And I know what the Lord says, you don't have that option. Soldiers don't have an option to be sick of war. They have to fight the battles. You don't say, I'm, you know, I'm just not in the mood today. And uh, I can remember times knowing this, repeating that to myself. I know I have not the right to be sick of this, but I am. And yet, here I am, preaching the gospel still. And my struggles were nowhere near as David and Paul. It doesn't have to be. They were big to me as, the, as yours are big to you. Trust God. That's what the Bible says. God could have just wrote just two words, and we would have had a very short Bible study every Sunday. Trust God. But then he says, I know that's not enough. They need to know about me. And uh, he illustrates it through so many ways. Well, verse 30 now. Just as I swore to you by Yahweh God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so certainly I will do this day. So David is charged now. And this may have been the turning point in his health. He may have just, just been enough to just revive him because he's, I think he's emotionally pretty hot. Because he's an emotional guy. Read the Psalms. Now, he's not emotionally driven. But he, his emotions, you know, he, he doesn't ignore them. He uses them. And that's why the Psalms speak to us so much, because we can just hear him say, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth for you. 
And then, the, of course, Psalm 23, after, you know, uh, you know, he makes a table, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, I don't want a table in front of my enemies. I want, I want airstrikes. I want something to take them out. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. I mean, he's just so articulate. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. When I die, if I die, I will be in heaven before hell knows I'm dead. That's how fast God's going to move. Because we who believe, we don't die. We just change duty stations. We're just here, and then we're there. And, um, man, it takes us, it's just amazing. Well, I don't know where I was. Oh, verse 31 now. So after David says, I certainly will do it this day, then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth and said, Whew, <laughs> and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. Now, that's an ironic statement. He doesn't want to live forever like he is now. And, uh, it, but it is court etiquette. David is like, no, I'm ready to go home. Uh, verse 32. And King David said, call me Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. You can hear the court, who had, you know, Abishag and the rest of them are like, ooh, it's on. Uh, then verse 33. David said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. So he's not just starting this, but he is clear on what has to happen. Now, Gihon, selected for its water source, as Enrogel was selected for its well, the well at Enrogel, well, uh, chosen by Adonijah. David says, Gihon, that's the spring, and I believe a lower elevation than the temple, but they they channeled it to the temple area. Uh, that's, again, the location of the temple, not the conventional area where the Antonio Fortress is. Anyway, why are these men having these events by the water? Well, because all the animal sacrifice, all the blood and the washing is necessary to, to, you know, to, to conduct the sacrifices. So that's why they're there. And I also believe, again, the elevation different, but Ornan's threshing floor that is David bought from him is not far from there either. Uh, they are about a mile, less than a mile, from where Adonijah is, just around the bend. So when the crowds start kicking in, they're going to hear it. Now, he tells us here in verses 32 and 3 that David's special forces, his mighty men, they're loyal to him, and they are there. Uh, this Christian, uh, The loyalty of a believer scares hell enough to attack uh, because it gets things done. That's why. He said, when hell trembles at something we do, it's not because, you know, they're just trembling. It's because it's effective if it holds. All the troublemakers would be alarmed at the mention that these men were with David and loyal. That's what I mean. It, it, it does count. It means something. And this reference to the mule, well, that at this point, in uh, this period in Israel's history, it was the preferred upper-class mode of travel. And uh, if they went to war, it would be a horse. The kings were not to multiply the horses, but they could ride them. They were not prohibited from riding them. 
our Lord returns on a horse, and he's coming back as, you know, with no nonsense. He's, the lamb of, he's not coming as the Lamb of God uh, towards his enemies. He's coming as the Lion of Judah, Revelation 19.11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. You just kind of love how the Bible just all ties right in. Don't we appreciate a, a piece of furniture where the you know the little dovetails, everything fits so nicely? Man, this is craftsmanship. Well, the Bible, of course, is that way. Verse thirty-four. There, let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, "Long live King Solomon." How about that? <laughs> How come the Bible doesn't give us David saying things like that? No. How about that? Because you know he knows Joab. You know. That guy, that guy, he just got under David's skin so many times, and now he's over there de- defected as far as David's concerned. The loyalty is gone. And Ab- Abiathar, who was, who was, you know, David showed so much kindness, and it elevated him. He's, he can't believe it. The shofar here, when it says uh, that they were to blow the horn, that's the shofar, the ram's horn, mainly a signaling device, not an instrument. You don't do, go to a concert that, you know, it's, it's Ira blowing the shofar. Uh, there would be a different horn for that. Anyway, uh, verse 35, Then you should come after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne. And he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. The distinction Israel and Judah is probably suggested the publication of First Kings was either during the exile or after the exile. Uh, it would have been almost redundant to say Israel and Judah when the kingdom was united. Uh, that's neither here nor there, but it's just a point you can't miss, shouldn't miss. Verse 36, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen, may Yahweh God of my lord the king say so too. Benaniah, the captain of David's personal guard. He couldn't constrain himself, not any longer. He bursts out with a hearty, Amen! Yeah! That's it, right there. And this from a man of valor, so much so that when the record is taken to Adonijah, they quote Benaniah's words, these words, because that's the impact it had. So here they are in the king's court, and the king says, bring my mule, bring, come anoint him, take him down to Gihon. He's given these directives. And, and when he's done... Benaniah says, Amen, Amen. He's <laughs> like, man, yeah, that's what I've been wanting you to say, king. He's expressing his allegiance and his delight in the king's orders and his choice before God. Uh, the, 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 he's the kind of man who lets you know where he stood. He's the kind of man that if he didn't like you, you knew about it. You didn't have to say, I don't think he likes me, because he didn't. <laughs> he got that far. And, uh, you know, and you just love it. So, 2 Samuel 23, just here's a little blurb about his life. Benaniah, the man who just said, Amen, may Yahweh, God of my Lord, the king, say too. He says, it says that he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. He was very good at calculus and invented the first motor in Israel. No, it doesn't say all that. But, uh, but he was just this warrior. So this is a powerful moment. 
David's not, there's no script here. David's not expecting it. He's giving the directives. Bathsheba and Nathan are going, yeah, we got this. And then Nathan, Benaniah is like, finally, yes, this is the one. And he's going to be loyal to Solomon too. And Solomon says, you need to go kill him. Pew! <laughs> Verse 37. And Yahweh has been with my Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon. Now let me reread that, because it's Benaniah still speaking. As Yahweh has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. This is beautiful. What was he supposed to say? Can Solomon's throne be less than yours, O David? Because I really like you more. That would have been terrible. Uh, That would have been a curse. Was he to say? Was it, should he say? Should it be the same, stagnant? You know, no more advancement and development. No, he's wise enough to say, "May our may our kingdom continue to to grow and expand through your son, your appointment by God, loyal to Solomon as he was loyal to David." Hell is afraid of loyalty. He's afraid of servants like this, and they're hard to find. We have we have a good amount here in this church, and may it may it always be so. And may you spread like wildfire. Loyalty means something. And it hurts to be loyal. Sometimes, not all the time. You're going to have times when you're going to have to see, well, let's see if you, you, your loyalty card is up to date. And me too. Verse 38. Pause one more thing about loyalty. When it is absent and you know it should be present, you notice it. You say, man, they blew it. They were that close and they blew it. They gave it all up. But when it stands, it's, it's magnificent. Uh, the charge of the light brigade, which was like a... They missed the... They, they confused the order, and it was just madness. But one of the generals watching makes a comment as he's watching these light cavalry charge these cannons, and, and they prevailed, incidentally. He says, it, it is magnificent, but it's not war. <laughs> He's saying it's actually pretty stupid, but it's pretty it's courageous. And and, and these men were loyal. This was the, the suicide mission they were sent. Well, if the world can do this, why can't we Christians do it? History is loaded with unbelievers being loyal to their cause. Most of the time loyal to the their comrades more than their state, but sometimes both. Verse 38. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. And the Cherethites and the Perethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. It's like he's driving like the king's sedan. I mean, his official, you know, the secret service is all around him. And this, he's got the flags and he is now the king in the process of. We don't read about uh, these bodyguards, the Cherethites and Pelethites, who are likely Philistines, uh, after David's death. Maybe they were disbanded or absorbed into different units, restructuring, but uh, we won't read about them after David. Verse 39, Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn. And all the people said, Long live King Solomon. Well, when they they took the oil from the tabernacle, it's, you know, they they had like, Three different places going on. Uh, it's probably the uh, the Moses Tabernacle that was currently in Gibeon, and he had it with him. I don't know. It's, just, it's not an important point. I wrestle with those things. 
Um, so we'll just move on and, and pass it. Because <clears throat> I say, well, where do you get the oil? I mean, it's a special oil. It's patented. You couldn't just go buy it at the market. <clears throat> it had to be at a primary place of worship. That will come back into the story when Solomon gets... He's going to have a second coronation, and he's going to go up to the temple to do it, and we'll get to that in latter chapters. Verse, verse uh, 41. Now, Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? And the angel sitting by said, you'll find out. (laughs) So just around the bend, noise reaches them. Verse 42, while he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonijah said to him, come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. What a doofball. Notice, it's snobby, you know, come in for, you know, you're good enough. And it just reflects who he is. Furthermore, uh, there's no connection between being prominent and bringing good news. Prominent people can bring bad news. Uh, God is prominent, I, I would say, and he sometimes brings bad news. Adonijah never gives us a reason to like him. <clears throat> Arrogant people don't. And I pray that this is not us. I mean, this is, these are the lessons that come out the scriptures, you know. I don't want to be like this guy. I don't want to be where everybody dislikes me unless they can get something from me. Uh, Joab and Abiathar had their own personal interest in having, getting behind this guy. Verse 43, Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, no, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. Oh, to have a picture of their faces when that news came out of his mouth. Uh, Jonathan was one of the spies on David's behalf when Solomon took Jerusalem. And it was Jonathan and, um, I forget the the other one with him, Uh, they would funnel news out to David from the city. David had told the priest, go back to the city, send me these messages. And now he's not with Adonijah, but his father, Abiathar, is the co-high priest, and he is there. And we don't know <clears throat> what, what's in Jonathan's head, except he's coming to say, hey, Dad, you got trouble. Verse 44, uh, the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherorites, and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. <laughs> and I saw it with my own eyes, and you boys are in big trouble. Verse 45, so Zadok the priest and Nathan the uh, incidentally, you know, these are the guys you didn't invite. So Nadok the, uh, Zadok, the pre- Nadok. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so, <clears throat> so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you heard. Oh, man. This is worse than getting a subpoena. It's like, oh, oh man, this is... He's going to kill us. That's because they would, they would have been dead defiant. Um, verse 46. So Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. Now, that's what he has said. But he's not done telling them. He, he was there. He's telling them what's going on. Uh, as I mentioned, well, I'll mention this instead. Solomon, according to 1 Kings 11, is 20 years old here. And he'll reign for 40 years. This is, we're about 970 years before the coming of Christ. 
And he's going to expand the kingdom over 50,000 square miles. He's going to have be the dominant influence in the region. And uh, from Egypt to Syria to the borders of Mesopotamia, he's, Solomon is going to do some great things according to men, but spiritually he's going to flop. Verse 47, <clears throat> And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on his bed. So those are Benaniah's words that Jonathan is repeating because it hit Jonathan like a bombshell. And so before he even says what David says, he says, this is what Benaniah said. And you don't want to be on his bad side. Uh, it, it, those are the words he remembered. It's because that moment, again, was a profound moment. It was one of those things you had to be there to feel, feel it in the room. Verse 30, 48, also the king said thus. Now he's going to say what David said, other than just bowing when, when David acknowledges all of this. Verse 48, the king said, Blessed be Yahweh God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes see it. That seals the throne for Solomon. And David recalls a covenant with Yahweh made in 2 Samuel 7, there with Nathan. Verse 49, So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. Um, kind of line at the hat check booth <laughs> or valet parking. What are you doing waiting for my chariot or whatever? Uh, they were deceived by their own pride. These guys thought they could pull it off. Joab said, with my support and the priest Adonijah, we can make this happen. Obadiah the prophet, he writes about the Edomites who had fortified themselves in the region where they were, um, Petra being one of the rock cities where they were fortified and they felt invincible. And they were inveterate enemies of the Jews. So Obadiah writes about God's judgment on them. And he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? And of course, Yahweh's going to brought, you won't meet an Edomite, you won't be at Walmart. He says, where are you from? You're not from around here. Well, I'm from Edom. Um, well, what, what do you eat in Edom? Anyway, okay, so, <laughs> deceived by pride. A bonus lesson here in this chapter. Verse 50. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. To which altar again, you know, again there's Gibeon, Mount Zion, possibly one at the threshing floor. I mean, it's just not sure. If you inadvertently committed a crime in Israel, certain crimes... You could gain asylum by grabbing the horns of the altar and say, hey, I'm on base. You, you, really, you, know, you don't have enough evidence to kill me. Exodus 21, 14, however, says, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And that is precisely what is going to happen to Adonijah when he again tries subterfuge to take the throne from Solomon. And uh, here, Solomon's going to pardon him. But he has grounds already because <clears throat> he is, um, this is treachery. 
And it is against the life of, of Solomon. They would have understood it that way. Now, the horns on the altar, you know, the power of the animal. Horns and tusk, they let you know this thing can hurt you pretty quickly. I mean, a mouse, if he had horns, you'd probably be a little bit more careful with him. But, you know, <laughs> antlers on a mouse. Uh, but it would be real hard to pull a sleigh for a mouse. Anyhow, um, it, it speaks of the, the, the power and, and the authority that belongs to the things God is doing. Anyway, verse 51 and so it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. Well, good reason. For look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Well, he's, in not, he's not in a, go- in a position to negotiate. Uh, he's wanting for himself what he likely would not give to anybody else, uh, typical of his type of character. Uh, verse 52, then Solomon said, if he proves, <coughs> we should get sponsors for cough syrup up here. I, we could just, you know, get make a lot of money. Um, see, I would not have coughed if I had used. And uh, anyway, <laughs> if he proves himself worthy, verse 52, not one hair of his head shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So this is Adonijah's invitation to support God's choice and to be loyal to Solomon. So go back to my earlier statement. When loyalty is absent, we notice it. And it's not a glorious moment. It's inglorious. He will do neither. He will not honor God's choice, and he will not be loyal to Solomon, and that will be his downfall. Verse 53, So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, And he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. He was shocked. So he's escorted into the presence of his brother, his younger brother, King Solomon, you know, stepbrother, where he renders homage to him. He follows the court etiquette. But his heart is not submitted. And uh, in 2 Kings, he will make the attempt to take the throne, which as I've repeated, repeatedly said, executed. God was always with Solomon, on Solomon's side, when Solomon answered the call of obedience to God. And far as Yahweh is it, but when Solomon starts bringing in, tolerating, that's the right, I think, choice of words for him, when he started tolerating false ideas from God, about God, uh, that's when it, it crumbled. But defiance is defeated. The king prevails. New Testament will close with this verse. Philippians 2.11 Every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Defiance will be defeated. And those who are saved are no longer defiant or are not defiant. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's no surprise that once again the lessons abound, that we are, we are expanded in our understanding of what you delight in and what you do not care for. May you get us all home safely tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>